Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Hey, take your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, and if you don't, it'll be on the screen in just a moment. 1 Thessalonians is, man, it's nine-tenths of the way through your Bible. Uh, short book, five chapters. I started a sermon series called The Will of God, What Does God Want From Me? We've looked at uh, gratitude and prayer and making a difference and consistency. Today, I want to move right into this subject. What is the will of God? 1 Thessalonians 4 tells me the will of God is to be holy. The will of God is to be holy. Now, this ver- these verses are going to talk about Christian sexuality. It's amazing to me that in America we have radically seen our views on sexuality deteriorating over the years. Now, I- I'm not even going to go back, sound like old church curmudgeon, I'm not even going to go back 60, 70 years ago Uh, of what our views would have been. Let's go back 20 years ago on Christian sexuality or or, or sexuality in general. Gay and lesbian relations are morally acceptable. 20 years ago, 40% of Americans said that. Today, 69% say that. Sex between an unmarried man and woman is okay. 20 years ago, only 53% would say it. Today, 73% would say it. 20 years ago, 7% of Americans thought polygamy was okay. Today, 20% of Americans think that. And by the way, that's not a bunch of Mormons on there either. Sex between teenagers 20 years ago, 32% thought it was okay. Now that number's climbed to 43%. According to Pew Research, 44% say online forms should have more options than male and female. I'm going to go ahead and disagree with that. Four in ten Americans say someone can be a gender other than their birth assignment. I'm going to call foul on that one too. This is not a political statement. I put it up here to show you the divide in America. 82% of Republicans say a person's gender is assigned at birth. But only 35% of Democrats agree, and we're seeing that divide get greater and greater and greater. Be holy is the admonition. We are radically changing, and we are moving farther and farther away from the standard of holiness that God lays down. Now, some of you would argue with me this morning and say, well, what's wrong with letting people do what they want? In other words... There be no standard, there be no rules, we just let love rule the day. Well, I want to be honest with you, how far are you willing to take that? Because what I've discovered in those conversations I've had is that everybody eventually arrives at a standard. Your philosophy cannot be anything goes. You don't even play games that way. Listen, you are angry at a television when the rules are violated in a football game. Go to a high school basketball. I'll take that back. Go to a six-year-old basketball game. 
and you listen to mommy and daddy in the stands berating an 18-year-old ref who's probably getting paid 15 bucks to do a game, screaming at him because he didn't call traveling on little Johnny when he had the ball. We like our rules. We like our standards, even when it comes to six-year-old ball. But all of a sudden, when it comes to Christian sexuality, we're supposed to have no rules and no standards. Well, who gets to decide what the standards? Everybody has standards. And there's no one I've ever talked to that said they're willing to say anything that I want to do goes. Who gets to decide the standard? Can't trust you. Can't trust, can't trust me. My standard has changed over time when it comes to human sexuality. Because if you looked at my standard when I was six years old, I was chasing first grade girls around the uh, recess lot. You know what my standard was then? If I catch her, I keep her. <laughs> now, I'll be honest with you. I never caught one, and I wouldn't have known what to have done if I had. But that was my standard. You know, me setting the standard, it was catching with keep them. Then I got moved into my teenage years. And if you're a teenager, man, I'm sorry. You hit puberty and hormones come at you like nuclear bombs into your body. And you can't let a teenager decide what the standard ought to be. And then you get married and you have another standard. And then you have a kid and you have another standard. I'll tell you, when Sherry and I were dating, love of my life down here, we were dating. And uh, her dad was strict, 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 strict dad. He did not believe in kissing before marriage. I'm not saying I subscribe to that theory. I'm just letting you know what he believed. It's a great theory if you ask me. But anyway, I was only allowed to see her one date a year. We dated for four and a half years. I was only allowed to take her on one date a week at the time. When we got engaged, we were allowed to have two dates a week. Hear me, engaged. She had a ring on her finger. I'd bought two dates a week. He was the most strict, the most crazy right-wing parent the world has ever produced. Until I was 21, 22 years old and gave birth to a six-pound, four-ounce daughter my wife did. And I looked back and said to her, what kind of crazy left-wing hippie parents did you have growing up? I cannot believe your daddy was so liberal. He let you go on a date. I cannot believe your daddy didn't just stop me dead when he saw me because when a little boy looks at my girl with the eyes I looked at you with, I will take him out of this world. <laughs> my standard evolved as well. You, you can't let me pick the standard. You, you can't let you be the standard because when we pick the standard, we tend to pick this. What do I want? That can't be the standard. Because my wants and desires change over time. So what should the standard be? The standard should be what's best for me. And can I tell you what's best for me? The will of God is what's best for me. Can I tell you what's best for you? The will of God, the plan of God, the standard of God is always, always what's best for you. And the standard of God is this, be holy. Now, I want to say this right off the bat. What is the standard of God when it comes to Christian sexuality? The standard is one man, one woman for one lifetime. There should be no sexual relations outside of the marriage relationship. So having that as our base, and that's stated all throughout Scripture, having that as our base, 
Let's stand together and read God's standard. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's begin reading together verse number 1. Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God, as you're doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will. There's the phrase. This is God's will. Your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means that this means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this, get this, does not reject man, but who? God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Thank you. You may be seated. We use a phrase sometimes like first world problems, and the, the, this book was written to a city called Thessalonica that had first world problems. It was a very prosperous city, and because of the prosperity, the economic prosperity, it was a very liberal city. It was a very loose city, and Paul stepped into this prosperous, uh, immoral city and said, here's God's will. Now listen, and I'm about to explain to you what the culture was like. But when Paul laid down 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8, they had never heard anything like this. It's not that they were disobeying it. They didn't know it. They'd never been raised this way, brought up this way. And now Paul has been teaching differently in the church. Well, what, how were they raised? What did the culture say? The culture was a polytheistic culture. They worshiped many gods, uh, Aphrodites, and uh, one of the gods they worshiped was named Dionysus, or, or you would see the name sometimes Bacchus, B-A-C-C-H-U-S, Bacchus uh, in the Greek. The Dionysus, or the Bacchus, was the god of wine and fertility. They worshiped him through drunken revelry and free sex. He had a huge following. And listen, one of the ways they worship is they would drink to the point of drunkenness. They would fall down on the floor and they would begin to writhe and jiggle on the floor and they would declare that the spirit of Bacchus had filled them or the spirit of Dionysus has filled them. Listen, Thessalonica had phallic symbols all around the city and especially around the temples. And if you don't know what the word phallic is, I'll let you look it up when you go home. But those symbols dominate the culture. And then we look at the idea of marriage fidelity. Marriage fidelity was expected from women, but not from men. Sexual immorality was common among men. Prostitution was legal, widespread, and expected. By the time Paul wrote this, pederasty, which was relations between adult men and boys, was now widely being practiced in the city. Some religions offered cult prostitutes for worship. Cult prostitutes for worship. It gave a whole new definition to the phrase, honey, I'm going to church this morning, when they went. And when you see the culture in which he wrote this, can I tell you, we're this close to being there ourselves. We are living in a culture that is dominated by the symbols of sexuality. We see it on our billboards, on our commercials, and in kids' literature. 
Well, what did Paul say about that? I want to do this. I want to make three statements about the text, and then I want to make three points to close out. Three statements about the text. What does the text tell us? Number one, it tells us this, that God gets to call the shots when it comes to Christian sexuality. Hey, look, look back in your Bible. Look at verse number one. I want to point out three things in verse one, two, and three. Look at how strongly it said. By the way, as we've been looking at the will of God, nothing has been worded as strongly as what we're about to see. Look at verse one. How should you live and please God? How should you live and please God? Paul said, hey, to the church, you've been doing the right things, living and pleasing God. However, you've got to do this even more. All right. So we're told this is how you please God. Verse number two, Paul said, these are the commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Not that this is something I made up. This is a suggestion. These are five helpful tips on, no, this is a command from Christ himself. Verse number three, for this is the will of God. So here's what Paul's trying to lay down. He said, this is how you please God. This is a command from God. This is the will of God. He is trying to tell us that there is a way, that there is a standard, that God has expectations. They are not a suggestion. They are not to be debated. This is the will of God. There is no getting around it. God calls the shots on Christian and human sexuality. So let's end the debate right now. The, sh- the standard is not what you think. The standard is not what you feel. The standard is not what you want. The standard is not what you believe. Why? God has a plan. God has a will. He knows what is best for you. Dalton, say amen. It's quiet here at Rock Springs. Can I tell you this this morning? God's not withholding good from you. God is steering you away from trouble and misery in your life. According to the CDC, sexual violence among LGBTQ people, sexual violence is higher among LGBTQ people. According to the Trevor Project, LGBT people are four times, and this includes transgender are four times as likely to attempt suicide. Now, they'll try to convince you it's because they're bullied. Could I postulate it may be because they've strayed from the will and plan of God? Because when any of us stray from the will and plan of God, nothing but heartache and misery on the other side. God is calling the shots. Why does God get to call the shots? Because he is the designer and creator of us. He is the designer and creator of human sexuality. And the problem becomes when you don't believe in a divine creator, when you don't believe in a divine designer, that's when we start having issues. When you say, well, there is no design, then there can be no standard. The problem is not with the standard. The problem with, is with the designer. Listen to me. If you don't play by the standard God laid down in your life, you have nothing but misery awaiting you on the other side. My wife and I, her, our whole family, we like to play a game called Clue. When her uh, sister who passed away was alive, she loved this game. Her daddy loved this game. It used to be me and my two girls and uh, Sherry and, and, and Ron and, and her two sisters, we'd all play this game. And, and Clue, anybody play Clue? Let me see. And you play Clue? Oh, great. So you're, you're going to get me when I say this. If you've never played it, um, it's better Monopoly. I'll, I'll tell you that. But go get Clue and um, you have to guess who did it. You have to guess who did it, where they did it, and what they did it with. 
And uh, just to tell you how the game was intense when we played it. It'd go for hours. And look, I had a mole, I'd go get a moleskin notebook and I had page after page and page. I mean, I'd have six to 10 pages of notes on one game where I'd have Sherry's name written down. And she possibly has this card or this card or this card. And then I'd eliminate and then I'd draw circles and lines. Like, and I wasn't the only one. We're all doing the same thing. I mean, I was a real, Sherlock Holmes got nothing on me. I was a real investigator. We were telling some friends of ours about how intense this game was one time, and they said, um, we don't get it. It's over in 15 minutes at our house. We don't even like it. It's no fun. And I, I said, there's, there's no way this game can be over in 15 minutes. It can't be. It's not possible. I said, it is over in 15 minutes. We don't, we don't get it. We don't like it. So we finally said, well, let, let's play a game. We, we pulled out the clue box one day. We sat down to play a game. Now, here's what happens. You might say, Colonel Mustard in the library with the, with the lead pipe. And if you're holding Colonel Mustard card, you got to show the one guy the Colonel Mustard card, but nobody else. So all they know is you stopped him. They don't know how you stopped him. They got to figure that out, right? So you got a clue. Colonel Mustard did not do it. But the way they played was, if you said Colonel Mustard in the library with the lead pipe, Whoever was holding Colonel Mercer just showed it to everybody around the table. And normally, somebody won before everybody got one turn in. They said, this game's no fun. I said, it's no fun because you're not playing according to the standards and the rules of the game. Can I tell you something about life? You're going to find out life is no fun. When you're not letting God call the shots in your life and paying, playing according to the rules of the life he has laid down. And that includes human sexuality. Romans chapter 1, I don't have time for all these verses. I wanted to read Romans 1, 18 through 32, and I just don't have time. Let me read the first verse. So why don't people follow God's plan? I'll tell you why verse 18 sets it up. He says, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their, look at this, unrighteousness suppress the truth. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What's the problem in America? What's the problem in the world? The problem in the world is people inherently have the law of God written on their hearts. But what they do is they suppress the truth with their sin. And we do it over and over again. When my heart falls under conviction, I can do two things. I can repent and turn to Christ. Or I can go deeper and deeper into my sin. And Paul said to the Roman church, this world, this culture just goes deeper and deeper into sin. So they can't understand the truth. So they can't hear the truth. So when I preach the truth this morning, instead of falling under conviction, they get hangry and they get mad. Why? Their unrighteousness suppresses the truth. Listen to me. You cannot go against the will of God and be happy. He is calling the shots. Let me say the second thing Paul's trying to tell us this morning is that is some things are, are destructive. Are destructive. He said, this is God's will, even your sanctification. I love this. I saw this quote in a commentary, and, and it was worth showing. A person dedicated to God should act in a manner consistent with the character of God. Can you say amen right there? A person dedicated to God. If you claim the name of Christ, you should act in a manner consistent with the character 
of Christ. So he says, this is God's will, that you should be sanctified, that you should be holy. He says that you should keep away, verse number three, the last phrase, that you should keep away from sexual immorality. Now let me stop and pause right here. The word in the Greek for sexual immorality is the word pornea. You'll recognize the word pornea. It's where we get the word pornography from. It is two Greek words put together. It is pornea, which means sexual immorality, and and graphy, which means um, uh, uh, to put in print. And so pornography is sexual immorality in print. That's where we get the term from. But pornea is the term that Paul is using here for sexual morality. Now, there are more specific terms than this about sexual immorality. For example, he can call out very specific things. But right here, Paul is using pornea. It is the catch-all term for sexual immorality. Is pornography included? Of course it is. But look, here's what he primarily means. It is premarital sex, that is sex before you're married, extramarital sex, that sex with somebody other than your spouse, or homosexual sexual activity, which would have been the three big ones, so to speak, that were included in the word pornea. It meant more than that. It meant any deviation from the standard of God. But you say, well, preacher, what is sexual, what is sex for then? Well, Hebrews 13 tells us that the marriage bed is undefiled. There's all kinds of liberty inside your marriage relationship for sexual activity, but there's not outside of it. So before you're married, no. Now, if you're a parent of a teenager, if you're not going to say amen right there, I don't think I'm ever going to get you. Extramarital sex or homosexuality, all of that is included in the word pornea. Paul is coming along trying to tell us some things are just destructive, that you ought to not lean into pornea. Well, what should we do? He says that in, in verse number four, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Control his own body in holiness and honor. Listen to this. Sexual urges take second place to holiness and dignity. Sexual urges take second place to holiness and dignity. Now, why is that important? Because we're told by the culture your sexual urges should define you. We should not be defined by our sexual identity. We should be defined by having the character of God lived and displayed through our lives so that we can be called sanctified, holy, and live a life full of dignity. And then he says that um, not to be controlled by our lustful passions, ungovernable desires. Our lust shouldn't control us like the rest of the world. God is placing a warning label on these activities and says, this is not my will, this is not good for you. Listen, I got, I got 100 grandkids um, I, I don't have a hundred, but I, Lord willing, in, in two months, I'll have six under five. And my daughter's right down here, and I, I have medicine that I keep on my nightstand every day. And they'll call me when they're bringing the grandkids over. They call me, and they say, Daddy, put your medicine up. Why do they want me to put my medicine up? Because there's a warning label on it that says, not safe for children. They want them getting into that. I'm kind of loosey-goosey with tightening it down and all that. And they say, get it up. It's not, it's not safe for children. So, that's God's warning label. Not, not that it's not safe for children. It's not safe for any of us. 
God's warning label says Christians cannot live that lifestyle. You cannot live this way, pornea, and be in my will. You cannot live this way, pornea, and be holy, and be happy, and be satisfied. You cannot live that way and be right. These ways are destructive. Third statement I want to make about the text is this. is he says, you'll hurt yourself, God, and others. The Bible says this. Pretty strong words for me. I would... Um, I'd underline them in verse number six. Look at the last phrase in verse number six. Because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. The Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. Listen to me. You're going to get the Lord avenging your sin. I don't want to be in that line, do you? And then he goes on to say, take advantage of a brother and sister in Christ. Listen, I don't want to be too graphic, but I've waited in now, so... um, in the culture in Thessalonica, uh, men, it was okay for them to have sexual relations with prostitutes, with concubines, or a woman of lower, lower social standing. It was frowned upon to take another man's wife, but they did it sometimes. They'd go take another man's wife. And he said, look, you can't do that. You're, you're, you're offending a brother or sister, to say the least. Now, rumor is some guys gave her away, but most of them were offended. That was a joke. He closed out verse number eight saying, he does not reject man, but God. In other words, you're hurting everybody around you. You, your relationship with God, and your relationship with others. If you ignore God's word, God's plan, God's standard, God's book, you do nothing but bring hurt into your life. Close your Bibles. Keep your notes out. I want to make three statements now. Having, having said all of that, Having said all of that, what does that mean? What, what does that tell us? What do we do now? I think there's three things Paul would have finished up this sermon by saying. Number one is this. Your best life is aligned with God. Align it. There's some of you here this morning. Your life is not aligned with the plan and the standard of God. Align it. Get it right. Fix it. You say, preacher, everything's fine right now. I know what the Bible says. There's pleasure in sin for a short time, but then trouble always ensues. The Bible tells us in James that sin kills what it touches. Anything not aligned with the standard of God is sin. So your best life, hear me, if you don't align it today, these words are going to ring in your mind one day. Align your life with the word of God. You can't go wrong. Number two. Not only is your best life aligned with God, align it. Number two, I want to tell you this. The cross of Christ can fix your desires. Come to Jesus. See, there are people that in, in order to um, condone their pornea would say, well, I was born this way. I can't help it. I can't help this desires. But we, we do damage to the cross of Christ. Do you know why? The cross of Christ tells me that I can overcome anything that's not God's standard in my life. What, what if I told you I really like to murder? Man, I just love to murder. I love to kill people. That's just my thing. Man, I just love to do it. And I got saved, but, um, you know, it's just, I am who I am. You say, well, that's crazy. You're not saved if you love to murder. Well, apply that. I love to thief, man. I love to steal things. You like to steal things? I love to steal things. Go in somebody's house, take what's not mine, knock their 
window out. And listen, if somebody's pulling one clip out of this sermon, I do not like to steal or murder, all right? <laughs> internet age, man, internet age. I don't like either one of those. But I'm saying that guy, if you're saying, well, this is just who I am, this is my desire, no, listen to me. The cross of Christ can fix that. That's why Paul ended by saying, you've got the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit of God can translate the old man into a new man. That's why he says in Ephesians 4, let him that stole steal no more. Why? I am a new man in Christ Jesus. The cross of Christ will fix your desires. If you'll come to Jesus. Number three, I think he'd tell you this. No matter what you've done, forgiveness is available. Just ask him. Paul was writing to a bunch of Christians at Thessalonica, listen, who had not avoided the culture. They'd been saved out of the culture. So everything he just preached against and about that I preached about, they, they had done it already. They'd done it. They were already guilty before they came to Christ. But they came and found forgiveness at the cross. And listen, there are people listening to me now. Rossville, Dalton, Rock Spring, online. There are people listening to me right now. Your past is littered with sin and indiscretion. And those people often say things like this. I don't know if God can save me. I got news for you. He can. Amen. I don't know if God will forgive me. I've got good news for you. He will. All you've got to do is that. You say, preacher, can you guarantee it? I can. I can guarantee it. Let me read a verse to you. John chapter 8 is the story of the woman taken in adultery. They brought her to Jesus, and they said, we're going to stone her. And Jesus said, that's no problem. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Weird thing, they all disappeared. The story's not over that. Verse number 10, Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. It's not over there. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Listen, that is a verse you ought to claim today if you have strayed from the standard of God in your past. Ask for forgiveness and go and sin no more. Would you stand with me across the room? At our campus, I want to sum it up with this illustration. You ever think about change? By change, I mean Pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters. If I were to tell you to guess how much change TSA estimates or counts that is left on airplanes. Now keep in mind, 16 million flights a year. How much change do they find on airplanes? I won't ask you to guess. Get a number in your mind because I'm going to tell you. They find $58 million a year in loose change. $58 million a year. Pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters. I got, I got down one of my preaching rabbit holes. And I thought, do we really need all that change? I'll be honest, if I never saw another penny again, I'd be fine. Do we need all that change? And I got to digging a little bit. Do you know how much it costs to make a penny? What's a penny worth? One cent. You know what it costs to make it? 2.72 cents. It costs three times as much to make it as what it's worth. How many cents is a nickel? Five. 
You just got to ask this generation. They don't always know. Right? You know how much it costs to make a nickel? 10.41 cents. You know what the bottom line is? It's not worth it to make pennies and nickels. It's not worth it. The cost is greater than the worth. Did you hear me? The cost is greater than the worth. Listen, if you're going to deviate from God's standard of sexuality, can I tell you this? The cost is greater than the worth. The payment is greater than the pleasure. Find God's standard. Be holy. It'll be the happiest you've ever been in your life. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. All around. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that great message on holiness. And really, that's the standard God calls us to um, as followers of Jesus Christ. And He doesn't call us to a standard of holiness to take away all the fun that the world has to offer. He calls us to that standard of holiness to protect us and to make us more uh, like Him. And maybe you're listening this morning and um, holiness doesn't mean a whole lot to you because your starting point is beginning that relationship with Jesus. Um, And it begins with you understanding that you're a sinner and that your sin separates you from God. You've got to be willing to admit that. And then you've got to believe that God loved us so much and he didn't like the separation created by our sin, so he sent Jesus to die on the cross, be buried dead in the tomb, and then rise again the third day to pay the price for my sin and for your sin. You've got to believe that. And then you confess him as your personal Lord and Savior. And maybe God has spoken to you this morning, and that's the step that you need to take. It begins with you telling God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day to pay the price for my sin. And Lord, right now I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Hey, if you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time and you meant it, let me just say welcome to the family. And let me tell you that we want to help you on your faith journey with Jesus. We want to help you take those next steps. And so, click on the link we've just dropped in the chat box. It says, I commit my life to Christ. Um, We're going to ask you just a couple of questions. And then we're going to uh, connect with you this week. Hey, it's been awesome to worship together this morning. Um, I look forward to our times each week. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.